You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Praise the Lord. I like that song. and that, That's the kind of song we need to hear again around Thanksgiving time. I think that's the... That's a great, a great truth and a great reminder tonight. Well, we're going to be in the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1. And uh, if you, as you turn there, you know, back in the spring, I started a series in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, for multiple reasons, just felt like it was time to break from it for really a few months through the summertime. And uh, I'd like to get back into it now. And uh, much of this tonight actually might be review from the first few messages that we had on it, but I think that's okay because it, it's been a few months, and second, I, even if it was last week, I don't pretend like you would remember. So, um, that was supposed to be a joke. So, that was less about your memory and more about the preaching, okay, just so you know. Um, I think a little review might be helpful tonight. So, we're going to read the chapter and, uh, and then really make the, the points of the first few messages that we went through we're going to make those kind of the points of the sermon tonight, and then we'll do a little bit more review potentially next week and then get into the new material starting then. So Nehemiah 1, if you found it, let's stand together in honor of the reading of God's Word out of respect for God's Word tonight, Nehemiah chapter 1, and we're going to read the whole chapter, and I like to read as a group, I'm going to do it a little different tonight. In that I will read verse 1, and you read verse 2, I read verse 3, and so on. We'll do every other one this evening. So I'll begin in verse 1, mostly because it has the long names that nobody likes to pronounce. So I'll start with that one, then you read verse 2, and so on. It says in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, And it came to pass in the month Chislu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Shushan, the palace... Okay, before we move on, the louder you read, the more together you are. So if you mumble quietly to yourself, it's going to be hard to be together. We we are in a big room. So let me encourage you, the next time you read, speak up. In that way, I think we'll be together more. Verse 3, And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed for the God of heaven. Awesome. And said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, 
and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. But if ye turn unto me and keep my commandments and do them, though there were of you cast out unto the uttermost part of heaven, of the heaven, yet will I gather them from thence and will bring them unto the place that I have chosen to set my name there. Let's all read it together. Verse 11. O Lord, I beseech thee, let now thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and to the prayer of thy servants who desire to fear thy name and prosper, I pray thee, thy servant this day, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man, for I was the king's cupbearer. It's a lot to, to chew on there, the whole chapter kind of, it starts with part of a, just a biography, it tells an account of his brother coming and he hears the words and then the last few verses, several verses, are a prayer of Nehemiah to God about what God might have Nehemiah do to help rebuild the walls. And we'll do some review tonight and I still think these truths are valid and helpful and if you'll, if you'll be open to the Holy Spirit tonight, I think it'll be a help to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word and thank you for the clarity of it. I thank you for... Uh, these good people, and uh, the way that they come and support and attend on a Sunday night like this. God, I'm grateful that they have come. I pray that you would speak to us and make this time profitable and useful. I'm so thankful that we have your word to gather around, and I pray that you would speak to our hearts tonight and bless it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I believe the book of Nehemiah is an absolutely important study for any church, but I think especially for our church at this time. And I don't know about you, but I want to be part, if I could just be transparent a little bit tonight, I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of something that makes a difference. And I want to be a, a part of something, and I don't say, want to say big, but you know what I mean by that. I want to be a part of something that makes a difference that, that in eternity, we know that we were a part of something that made a dent in people's lives. Amen. And I think we all have this innate desire to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And God has placed you in this church, this institution called the New Testament Church. And there's nothing else on planet Earth with a more important mission or the potential to make a bigger difference than a local church. And friends, God in his sovereignty put us here. God in his sovereignty placed us as members of Eastside Baptist Church in 2019. And this church is the institution. There are other institutions. I'm just speaking about ours here. But this is the institution uh, through which God intends to represent him to the people of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And if you've ever wanted to be a part of something big or something important or something that can make a difference, you don't really need to look any further or much further than the local church. God's placed you here for a reason. You talk about being part of something important. We get to represent our God to this community. I mean, that's an important task. 
That's a great responsibility. And that's why it's so important that we are who we're supposed to be. Because we represent God. This isn't a social club. We're not here just to kind of encourage each other or share uh, our feelings tonight. We are to represent God in this community. We're supposed to be what we are because of that. And when we're not what we're supposed to be, it doesn't just reflect um, our church name or our family name. You know, my dad used to tell me when I would go out, he said, don't forget, your last name is Jet. You represent our family. And as important as that is as a teenager to think about, you know, there's something even bigger at stake in that we represent our God. You know, that's also why something, and and I'm going to go back to what I was preaching for a few weeks on Sunday nights this summer, uh, music. It's why it's so important for us to know where we stand on something like that because what takes place inside this building is a representation of a holy God. You know, when, when, when people come in here, it's not a, we're not here to kind of appease everybody and to give them exactly what they prefer. No, we don't simply come to receive when we come in here. We're not just here to say, okay, bless me. No, that should not be our mentality. We come to give praise. We come to give worship to an almighty God. We come to honor God. And so what takes place inside this building, what takes place inside this room is about God. It's not about us. You know, you talk about getting to be part of something significant. A a true biblical local New Testament church is the biggest thing going on anywhere tonight. There's a lot of other things going on. We could go up the road uh, to Century, to the movie theaters. There's a lot of cars in that parking lot. There are probably cars in the parking lot at the at Kohl's and in that shopping center, which love Kohl's, Miss Tina, by the way. I'm not downing Kohl's tonight. You could go to restaurants with full parking lots and there are probably other events taking place. But listen, a local New Testament church, the gathering, the assembly of a local New Testament church, there's nothing bigger going on in Sioux Falls than what's happening here in here right now. This is important. It attaches to God's name. And what I want you to get is that God has allowed you to be a part of this one. He's allowed you to be part of this local church. And, and I, listen, I know that Nehemiah wasn't part of a local church like we are. But in reality, the book of, of Nehemiah really carries a lot of parallels to our situation as a local church. God is looking for people that are willing to give their lives to something big in order to see his kingdom work furthered. That's exactly what Nehemiah was doing, and that, friends, that's what we're to be doing. God is looking for people that are willing to give their lives to be part of something big, to represent him in a world that needs a representation of God. And I love the study of Nehemiah. As much as this book is about God's work being accomplished, about the big picture of God's work, it's viewed through the lens of an individual. And we get a glimpse into the kind of person that God is looking for in his kingdom work. And especially to the men here tonight, as we go through this series, what I would like for you to do, not just tonight, but as we go through, is to personalize the character traits of Nehemiah and apply them to your own life and say, okay, if God is looking for that kind of a man to make a difference in his kingdom, how could I be that kind of man? We should all strive to want to be the kind of servant for God's work that Nehemiah was. And I love this book. We get a glimpse into the person 
and it's both a practical and inspirational book. It's practical because Nehemiah gives us an an excellent example of leading others during an important time of building, and it's inspirational because maybe we could maybe just catch a glimpse of all that God could do through Eastside Baptist Church in our own community. I mean, it's, it's practical in that you see these traits and you see these things that, that God wanted to do through Nehemiah, the kind of man that he was, but it's inspirational because you realize that he's just a man, just like we're humans, and God used him to do something incredible. You know, in order for anything great to be accomplished for God's kingdom, his people must be enabled by his power, they must, they must be inspired by the possibilities and they must be diligent in the work. They must be enabled by God's power. They must be inspired by the possibilities. And they must be diligent in the work. Nehemiah was a great example of all three of those traits. He was enabled by God's power. He was inspired to do what seemed impossible. And he was diligent in the work of leadership. Let me give you the background that we started with in our first couple of messages. And this gets to be a little bit tedious. And I know there's a lot of things here, but I want to lay it out before we get into it, just so that we understand what led up to the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a Jew. He's living in captivity to the Persians at this time. He was the cupbearer for for King Artaxerxes. We see there at the end of verse 11, for I was the king's cupbearer. He was basically the secret service for the king. He was close to the king. He was trusted by the king. He was the man whose job it was to test the food and drink that was served to the king to make sure that it wasn't poisoned. I mean, you would have to trust a man in that position. The Jews are in Persia, which is modern-day Iraq, because of a process that had begun about 300 years earlier. See, the events of Nehemiah, they begin, uh, my Bible even has it listed there, around 446 B.C., But in 722 B.C., the first Jews had been scattered. See, God had judged the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah because the nation of Israel and Judah had broken their covenant with God. Nehemiah actually even talks about it in his prayer here because they had had broken the covenant. They hadn't followed the commands of God. And so God allowed them to be scattered. In 722, the Assyrians came. They invaded the northern tribes, those ten tribes, and those ten tribes were scattered around the world and really not, not to be brought back again. Frankly, they, they were scattered and scattered almost really for good. Well, years later, between 605 and 586 B.C., God used then the Babylonians to come in and to take control to conquer the rest the remaining of those that were still in Judah. And they did. They came and they, they conquered Judah. They conquered Jerusalem and carried them back to Babylon. And it was all because of Judah's unfaithfulness. So we're in a position where God is allowing Judah to be chastened by placing them in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. And that's where we are here. That's where Nehemiah is. They're in captivity. While they were in captivity, though, so... So again, the, the Babylonians were the ones that came in and captured Judah and Jerusalem. But in the middle of that, then the Persians came and conquered Babylon. So when, ne- when we get to Nehemiah here, he's no longer working with the Babylonians. He's actually working for the Persians now. 
And if you were to read Daniel 5, you would see that that took place in the life of Dan- during the life of Daniel. Babylon uh, was, was placed under subjection to, the, to Persia. Uh, the companion book to Nehemiah is the one right before it, the book of es- Ezra. And uh, this is the book preceding Nehemiah. As a matter of fact, these two books, Ezra and Nehemiah, were both written by Ezra the scribe. And they very much go hand in hand. Much of the language of Nehemiah is actually written in first person. If you, if you read some of that, you start to realize, like in verse 2, it says, And I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped. You read in other places, much of the language of Nehemiah is written in first person, but it was actually uh, probably read by Ezra the scribe and transcribed by Ezra himself. So Ezra wrote, was writing the journals of, of Nehemiah. Much of the language is in first person. The book of Ezra begins with the decree of Cyrus, that Persian king, to return God's people to Jerusalem. So you have Babylon. They're in control of the Jews. They're in control of Judah and Jerusalem. They give way to the Persians. And the Persians are uh, more friendly to the Jews returning to their homeland. So Cyrus sends this decree out to say that a group of people can go back to Jerusalem in order to rebuild God's house, to rebuild the temple. That happens around 539 B.C. So back then, before Nehemiah, a group of men had returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple, but then God's house sits, sits vacant, it sits unprotected for almost 80 years. So God's house is rebuilt, they were excited about it, but just because of things happening, it didn't really get finished like it should have been. It's, it's there, the temple is there, but there's no wall, there's no protection, and for almost 80 years, it sits there unprotected until Ezra and a group of others return about 12 years before Nehemiah's time. They return and they go back to the temple. They start to reestablish the law, to reestablish the sacrifice schedule, to reestablish that feast calendar. But there are still no walls around Jerusalem. The temple sits unprotected. Well, at this point in Judah's history, the Persian Empire really dominates the whole, the, that whole part of the world, the entire Middle East. They control Judah. They control Jerusalem. So I want you to imagine... You're in Persia under Persian control. The temple's been rebuilt in Jerusalem, but you know that walls need to be built around it. But but Persia, your boss, controls that land. So for you to go to your boss and say, we want to rebuild a wall around Jerusalem, uh, it's kind of like saying, we're going to go back and we want to restake our claim and reclaim our city and take it back and build a wall around it. Now, that's a little scary, isn't it? I don't know that Persia, you wouldn't think that, that somebody would be all that excited about saying, yes, I control all of this land, but I'm going to let the original inhabitants of that land go back and basically reclaim it. Now, you would think that that's probably not going to happen, except that God's been working behind the scenes. See, see Artaxerxes is a man who trusts Nehemiah. God has put Nehemiah in this position to be trusted by the king. So in Artaxerxes' mind, this is a man that he can trust. So it wouldn't be the same for him to think that someone's going to be a rebel and they're going to go and they're going to reestablish their homeland and then rebel against me because he trusts Nehemiah. 
I love how God raises up Nehemiah at just the right time. It reminds me a lot of Joseph in the book of Genesis. It reminds me of Esther, or it reminds me of Daniel, how God will raise up a person at the right time, in the right place, in the right position to, to perform a significant role to advance his kingdom. Well, that's exactly what's happening here in Nehemiah. And, and I, I know I gave these points early on, but when things like this happen, listen, when things like this happen, we can only give credit to God for knowing what's coming and having the right people in the right place at the right time so that his purposes are accomplished. And I'm thankful. I mean, if Nehemiah had not been in that position, it had been some random Jew going to Artaxerxes and say, hey, we want to reclaim our homeland, basically. Do you think Artaxerxes would have trusted him to not uh, have just an all-out rebellion? Probably not. But because it's Nehemiah, then we see God's sovereign hand working. Building walls around a city in a country another king controls seems like an impossible task in just about any situation except when God's involved. See, because God is working all these things out behind the scenes, then we can see God's hand of sovereignty. God puts the right people... That was our first message. God puts the right people in the right places at the right times. He does. I mean, just like Joseph and Moses and David and Esther and Peter and Paul and Jesus Christ. And so let me tell you this today. We say, well, God puts the right people in the right places at the right time, and we say amen to that. But if we believe that about the Old Testament, and we believe it about the New Testament, and we believe that that's the way that, God's work, that God works, then let me just say this to you, that God has you here at Eastside Baptist Church at the right place, at the right time, and for His purposes. Don't think this is an accident. 1 Corinthians 12 says that God has set now, set the members, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. You're not here by accident. You're not unimportant to the overall work of this church. You are a vital member of Eastside Baptist Church. If we believe that God is sovereign and that he has a plan, then you are here right now and you're part of it. He wants you to have a role, not just in our present, but also in our future. I mean, God's purposes can be accomplished if the people that he puts in place simply are willing to get on board. If they will simply say, I believe in the sovereignty of God. Now listen, I want to be careful. The sovereignty of God is not God choosing who gets saved. We don't believe that that's a scriptural mindset or doctrine. But I do believe that God is sovereign enough to know that you would be a member at Eastside Baptist Church in October 2019. If he loves his church like the Bible says he does, if Jesus loves the church enough to die for it, then he wants this church to succeed, and he knew you would be here. And so let me just say this to you today. You are vitally important to the future of Eastside Baptist Church. He has you here for a reason. He wants you to be a part of it, folks. He knows that he knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows what you're comfortable with. He knows what you're not comfortable with. He, he knew you would be here. And yet he still saw fit to put you here. See, do you believe in God's sovereignty? Do you believe that he knows what he's doing? If so, then you are here because he sees you playing a vital role at Eastside Baptist Church. 
Let me just say it this way. There's a difference to be made if we will simply embrace the roles he calls us to. God wants to make a difference in Eastside, through Eastside Baptist Church in Sioux Falls. God wants to reach your neighbor. You don't think that God is a sovereign God enough to put you next door to somebody who's unsaved thinking that you might be the one to reach them? God is a sovereign God. You don't think that he could arrange for you to have a divine appointment with the, with the cashier at Walmart? God is a sovereign God. Uh, just this afternoon, we stopped to get a sandwich and there was a man behind the counter and I gave him a tract to Eastside Baptist Church. And in my mind, I was just giving him a tract. But right now I'm thinking, God in his sovereignty put me in that shop at that time to reach out to that man and give him a tract and say that God wants you to have a, a home and it could be Eastside Baptist Church come visit us. I don't want to take lightly God's sovereignty and those are divine appointments that he places us in. And friends, he wants us to make a difference. He doesn't want us to just come and sit and just be consumers and feed and eat and be blessed and be full. No, he wants us to feed and eat and be full. But he wants us to take what we're fed with and go out there and reach the world for Jesus Christ. You know, it's like a pyramid. I'd love to have those guys come up here that were up here doing the pyramid a few months ago. And that was a lot of fun. We might do that again. But listen, if one person in a pyramid does not do their job, it doesn't work. And that thought was our focus, the second message of Nehemiah. That God in his sovereignty puts people in positions to further his kingdom, but the person in that place and time still has a choice to make. Yeah, we say, well, we trust God's sovereignty. We know he put us here at this time, in this place, for this purpose. And he did with Nehemiah too. But Nehemiah had to say yes to the task. Nehemiah had to have courage. Nehemiah had to be willing to step outside of his comfort zone. He had, to be, had the, he had to be the right kind of man for God to use him. I mean, God's plan needs a man. And I'm not, I mean, it needs women too. I'm not, saying, I'm, I'm not saying that it doesn't need all of us, but it does need a man to rise up and be a leader. God's plan needs a man, but it also needs the right kind of man. If God's... Uh, uh, purposes are going to be accomplished it requires the right kind of person to do it like Ian Bounds said in his book power through prayer the church is looking for better methods God is looking for better men are we one of those men are you one of those men can you be counted on to be the right kind of man to help make a difference in your neighborhood in your community in your workplace in this church and all the best ideas and methods out there will never outdo a man who is wholly surrendered to his father and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Nehemiah wasn't the most qualified man to rebuild walls, skill-wise. You think about it. Uh, was Nehemiah a wall builder? Was he a carpenter? Probably not. He was a cupbearer. But because he had a heart for the things of God and because he had certain traits that made him the right man for the job, then God gave him the opportunity. You know, he says in, in the first part of the verses, verses one and two, as I was in Shushan, the palace. The palace. I mean, he's a great, he has a great job. He has likely all of his needs met. It's a, a role as important as the cupbearer wouldn't likely be underpaid. And what I want to say about that first is that his decision 
to take a step of faith was a sacrifice. It's not like he was living in a dungeon. He wasn't strapped down below the, the, below the palace in prison. No, he was serving the king. He had his needs taken care of. All of his needs were met. He was a man living in a comfortable place. So for him to make the decision to step out of that comfort zone, that was a sacrifice. But that's the kind of man or woman that, woman that God is looking for. He's looking for the, for the men and women of Eastside Baptist Church who are willing to step outside of themselves, outside of their comfort zones, and say, yes, it's not comfortable and it may not be easy, but I'd be willing to sacrifice if it meant that I could have a part in making a difference in Sioux Falls, in making a difference at Eastside Baptist Church. If me volunteering to help with children's ministry, um, if, if, that, if that's what it takes for the work of Eastside Baptist Church to be furthered, I'd be willing to do it. Those are the kind of decisions we have to make. Nehemiah is not, in the, he's not a preacher. Realize Nehemiah is not a, a pastor. He's not even on staff. He's not even an intern. I mean, he's not even the lowest man on the totem pole. He's not even on the totem pole. He's a layman. The strength of a local New Testament church is built on the commitment level of its members. It's not about a staff or a pastor. I want you to take note tonight in this room, uh, this evening, in this room, there's basically two employees of Eastside Baptist Church. Um, there's the one that, that really makes the decision and, and leads and, and, and kind of guides and directs and makes things happen. That's Miss Judy. And then there's me. Yes, ma'am, what do I do next? I'm the pastor of this church. I get paid to work here. Judy's the secretary. But in this room, do you think that all the things that happen at Eastside Baptist Church could happen if it all fell on me and her? No. The success of a New Testament church is not dependent on those that get paid. It's dependent on those that sit in the pews. And listen, if we ever get to the place where we're like, okay, we just need another staff guy in here so that things can really start happening, that's the wrong mindset. We should never, never look for God to rescue us with a staff person. Now, I'd love to get a staff person in here and get another guy in here that can help and lead in certain areas. It'd be a help to me. It'd be a help to our church. I think it would be good, but not at the expense of men in this room saying, I'll volunteer. I'll step up and I'll do what I need to do so that I can be a part of something big, something that makes a difference. Don't ever get to the point where we depend on somebody to get paid to do it. That's not the mindset of the local church. If you go back to the book of Acts, very few of those people were getting paid to do all of that work in ministry. We need to be careful to, to, to not get that mindset in our heads. Well, so Nehemiah is just in, his, in the palace doing his job and he gets a visit from his brother Hanani. And I'm thankful that it seems like Nehemiah and Hannah and I were raised by parents who had a passion for the things of God. Because they get together, Hannah and, and I comes and brings this report. And he, so Nehemiah asks him concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. So obviously, Nehemiah knew that there was something big going back on back in Jerusalem. 
He had a heart for the people of God, and he had a heart for the house of God. And Hananiah and all of those that had been there said, the remnant that are left of the captivity, verse 3, there in the province, are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also was broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And Nehemiah's like, oh, okay, cool, and walks and goes, goes his way. No, not at all. I mean, you get from their conversation and his response that the things of God are extremely important to, to Nehemiah. His, and and his, they must have had parents that loved the house of God. They must have had parents that taught them, hey, it's Jerusalem and the house of God, the temple. If, when, if you could ever get back there and be there, you'll see what we mean. It's very important. Nehemiah had a heart for it. And, and our children, folks, our children are going to love what we love. They're going to respect what we respect. And our, our approach to the house of God, our love for the house of God will no doubt be picked up on by our children. They will love what we love. They'll resent what we resent. They'll respect what we respect. They'll treat the house of God and services like we treat the house of God and services. In parents, it might be a complacent attitude toward service. You know, they, services, they may, not, may or may not end up or attend with consistency. It, it depends on what comes up. A man may or may not think it's important to come uh, and sit and listen to the preaching. Parents may not try very hard to get the family here early as if this matters, as if there's something to anticipate. They might voice displeasure at being inconvenienced when something extra is, is forced upon them or required of them. And listen, any lack of respect, and I'm not even talking just about Eastside Baptist Church. I'm talking about Christianity in general and just the parenting child relationships. Any lack of respect, any dismissal of God's house as a priority will be amplified in our children. It just will. In our children, it might come across in the way they behave in the house of God. I mean, our approach to this place will set the stage for how the next generation approaches it. What we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. Let's send the message that God in His house, that which represents Him on this planet, they're important. Nehemiah's, Nehemiah was concerned about the important things. Those things that made the biggest difference in the work of God. God's people and God's house. The next message in our series was really on the prayer of Nehemiah in this chapter. We already read it. And I'm not going to read it all again. It, it reveals many good things. It reveals that he obviously cared a lot about the things that matter to God. Upon hearing the words of his brothers and those that gave a report, it says that he sat down and wept and mourned for certain days. He also fasted and prayed for a certain length of time. And I love that Nehemiah didn't take the need, uh, didn't uh, take the need to others first. He took the need to God. He stopped. He mourned. He wept. He fasted. He prayed. Now, there's a lot to learn in Nehemiah's prayer that our prayer should acknowledge God's character when we pray. Our prayer should be born out of humility over our need. Our prayer should reflect the things that are important to God. Our prayer should grow out of brokenness over sin. 
Our prayer should confess our needs. Our prayer should not be about us. Great lessons. It's a great prayer from, from Nehemiah's own lips. A lot of great things to learn. But what stands out to me as I read this is the principle by which he operates. It's not just the fact of what he prayed. It's not just his response. See, the problem is broken down walls. But Nehemiah doesn't say, okay, I need to go to trade school if I'm going to fix this problem. Nehemiah doesn't say, well, if I'm going to fix this problem, I need to call all the best carpenters that I know and the, and the mason, the, those that work with masonry, those that can cut stone, those that can build walls. If we're going to fix this problem, then I better go to the people that have the skill to fix the problem. No, that's not what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah went to God. Which means that he knows the problem is not just physical. See, the fact that he goes to God first means he knows that the biggest issue with Judah is not a physical problem. It's a spiritual problem. Broken down walls are simply a reflection of a broken relationship with God. And many times... We try to deal with spiritual problems with physical solutions. I preached a message and, and had a roll of duct tape, which got every man's attention that night. Like spiritual duct tape. I mean, rather than actually fixing the issue on a spiritual level, we tend to put a temporary fix on it, and we tend to cover up the problems, rather than allowing God in a spiritual way to fix them. If Judah had only rebuilt the walls, yet never gotten right with God, listen, listen to that. If Judah had just, if Nehemiah had said, okay, here's the plan. I need some guys that can build walls, you and you and you and you. Each of you go find 10 or 20 other guys. We'll meet back here in two weeks. I'll make sure we have enough provision for the trip. We're going to go, we're going to rebuild these walls. Call everybody with skills in that area, in that field. We're going to go and we're going to rebuild these walls, ready, break. If all Nehemiah had ever done was said, okay, listen, we've got to make sure that we rebuild the wall and that'll take care of our problems. Yet they had never gotten right with God. It would not have been long and the walls, I believe, would have been broken down again. So we have a tendency to try to fix spiritual problems by going to physical solutions. It's spiritual duct tape. And that was the message. Don't try to fix those spiritual problems with a physical solution. And what areas are we applying spiritual duct tape instead of spiritual solutions? See, if you have a need, when you have a need, where do you turn first? God should always be the first stop. I mean, not your friends, not get on the phone, not start asking everybody else to pray. You go to pray. You go to your Father. You take it to Him and pray, and pray to Him. Take your need to God because He's the only one that can really fix our spiritual problems. If you have an offense with someone else like we talked about last week, if there's a wrong, don't just cover it up with a smile and pretend like everything's fine. That's spiritual duct tape and that won't fix bitterness, friends. We can say, well, you know, I, uh, you know I'm just going to forget it. I'm just going to... I'm not going to deal with it. When I see him at church, I just won't be around him. I'll just go the other way. No, the only solution to an offense is forgiveness. 
And that's a spiritual fix. It only comes through the power of God. You cannot apply duct tape to that and fix the problem. It just covers it up. You have some besetting sin and and you're hiding it behind the veil of good Christian behavior. That doesn't make you right with God. It's not about serve more or say amen more or bless God, we're going to go start a new bus route or I'm going to go get involved in some way. If you have sin problems, the only power you have to win is through the word and the Holy Spirit. Don't resort or settle for spiritual duct tape. In parenting, and this is a big one, don't settle by forcing behavior in your, if your child's heart is not in it. See, we can mask spiritual problems, and I've done this with my own children before. See, we really need their hearts. We don't just want them to behave or perform. If all we're asking for them to do is perform on the outside, then we are creating little Pharisees. Because the Pharisees, they were great performers. And Jesus Christ called them hypocrites. Actors is what it means. They were acting like they were one thing, but their heart was far from God. And we've got to be careful as parents to not just train our children to do what they're supposed to do, but to be what they're supposed to be before God. In parenting, we can apply spiritual duct tape sometimes because we're embarrassed by our children's behavior. So oh, don't do that. And now, now listen, uh, in just when you're around other people, you've, I've had this conversation. When you're around other people, you cannot behave like that. You have no sense. And I understand because I've said those kind of things before. But listen, it's not just when my child's around other people. If that behavior is an unrighteous behavior, then it doesn't matter if they're friends or other parents or my friends or I am watching. God is always watching. If that behavior is wrong in front of somebody else, it's wrong before God too. So let's help them to see that it's not just behavior, it's a heart matter. We don't want our children to grow up thinking that spiritual duct tape can hide or mask all of my problems. In a church application, that's the whole point of Nehemiah. I think most of us desire to make a big difference. We, we want God's house to be filled. I certainly do. I mean, not because I, I think it's going to help our status or, or make us look better. No, but we, I believe, like we heard tonight from... Miss Anne Marie and Miss Cheryl, and you know, giving advice to people that they know, saved or unsaved, it doesn't matter. When God's truth is applied to somebody's life, it changes their life. And I want I want people's lives to be changed. And the only way to really see their life changed is to apply God's word to their life. So it's not just about filling this place up. It's not just about getting bigger numbers and being able to report bigger offerings and and having everything go smoothly, and we can build new buildings, and we can make all these updates and upgrades. It's not that at all. I know what it's like to be spiritually in a bad place, or be wrong, or not right with God, and I don't want somebody else to feel that way. I've seen lives around me that are in turmoil, and they're falling apart, and and they don't know where to turn, and they're resorting to things like suicide, or drugs, or they're trying to mask it through alcohol. That will never fix those problems. And so we've got to reach this world, reach our community for Jesus Christ, not to just build the numbers, but so that they can see that God's truth changes their life. I want their lives to be changed. I want people to live not, and not to live in misery, but to live for God and be satisfied and be content and be fulfilled. 
you know, we, we could fill this place up with, with uh, duct tape if we wanted to. You realize that? We could fill this place up if we just tweaked a few things. You know, we could change our music and probably immediately start getting a bigger crowd. We could relax some things and make people feel more comfortable and we could change our philosophy and start cutting service, services during the week and, and have a lower threshold or a lower standard and, and we could cater to that mentality to the consumers so that we could have our, our online reviews get look better. But I, I happen to believe that that's all just spiritual duct tape. See, a church filled with non-disciples doesn't strengthen us and it doesn't help us in our position to fulfill the Great Commission. We need disciples. We don't need consumers. Arising and building means we focus on real spiritual needs and we minister to those, not just adjusting how we do things to draw a crowd. I'd love to arise and build here. I'd love to see God's kingdom advanced in Sioux Falls through Eastside Baptist Church. But if I ever think the difference will be made through programs instead of prayer then I'm looking for spiritual duct tape. And that's sure to give way sooner or later. It, it keeps it together for now, but it doesn't really fix the problem. I'd love to arise and build together as a church family and be more rooted and more strengthened and even more unified. And I'm thankful for the unity that we have. As a pastor, the temptation is there to make things easier. So people will be more inclined to get on board. But listen, there's never been a disciple made because things got easier. You realize that? I'm not trying to be hard and I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, stand up here and, and be... A disciple has never been made because things got easier. Is the servant greater than the master? How easy then did Christ have it? How easy did the apostles have it? Disciple making has never increased by loosening expectations or lowering standards. Now, we need to be gracious and we need to have a good spirit. That's not my point. We always ought to have a good spirit. But disciples are made through surrender and self-sacrifice. They're made by denying and dying to self. And listen, we as a church, just like Nehemiah, our response to what we perceive to be a physical hurdle uh, or a, a spiritual hurdle should never be a physical solution. We should never say, okay, well, things aren't going well in this area, so let's just change it all up. No, we need to seek God and his help instead of spiritual duct tape. And so I know that's been a lot of review tonight, but I think those points are still very valid. There's actually more to review for next. I'm not going to take... Take the time tonight to do it, but rather than throw it all at you, has God convicted you of any of these points tonight? Nehemiah has a lot to teach us. It's good for us to go back and look and revisit these principles and applications. Being reminded is a valuable exercise that we probably don't employ enough. But let me just close with these three applications. God puts the right people in the right place at the right times. Be sure that you don't thwart the plan he has for you to accomplish by not getting on board. If you believe God is sovereign and he has placed you here at this time, in this place, in this season, then jump on in. 
Second, God's house and God's people are important to difference makers. How important are they to you? God's house and God's people. Your view of the things that matter to God will determine how big of a difference you get to make. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what he says. Third, don't try to fix spiritual problems with physical solutions. In what areas are you applying spiritual duct tape instead of applying the spiritual solutions that come from God himself? I don't know how God may work through this. I know it's a lot to throw at you. But the review is helpful and the points are valid and I hope that the Lord will work tonight in our midst. Let's stand together. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.